podcast listeners, welcome back to another episode of City of Champions. Today, I had the sincere pleasure of speaking with Sylvia Sue, a woman of many talents. On Sylvia's resume, you might find artist, actor, author, entrepreneur, philanthropist, inspirational speaker, and world traveler, just to name a few things. However, what you won't find on there, and what she's been best known for in the last eight years, is two-time cancer survivor. This tough chick kicked cancer's ass twice now. And while the fights weren't easy, Sylvie has grown tremendously, and she's using her experiences to help others, aiming to leave this world in a better place than she found it, ultimately. I really hope you enjoy my conversation with Sylvia as much as I did. Sitting here at uh, the home of Sylvia Sue, Edmonton, born and raised? No. <laughs> no? Where were you born? Uh, I was born in Fort McMurray. In where? Fort McMurray. Fort McMurray, yeah. oh, okay. And then I moved I moved here for second year university. Sylvia, for the audience who doesn't know you at this point, how would you describe yourself in a couple of sentences, what you do and who you are? And then we'll jump into the backstory. Okay. Um, what I do and who I am? Mm-hmm. Uh, so currently I work with leather, I design and make leather goods, but I wear a lot of hats as well. So I've been really involved in the cancer community. Mm-hmm. So I'll do, I'll do talks, I'll do speeches sometimes. Um, I've written a book. Um, who am I? <laughs> who is Sylvia? Um, I don't know. I have a, I have a lot of interests mm-hmm. and I, I don't like to kind of limit myself in a box. So right. um, I always like being curious and exploring and being ambitious and just just look into different things, like whether that's crafts or following arts, your curiosity travel. and yeah. your passion. That's mm-hmm. perfect. So give us a little background on what it was like for you. You grew up in in Edmonton here, correct? Fort McMurray. No, but you grew... How When did you move to Edmonton? I moved to Edmonton um, about 19. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. New yeah. twist to the story. You tell me that. It's your story to tell. <laughs> Just a little background. Family, kind of, you know, what what uh, what you did through high school and sports, things like that. Okay. So I didn't play any sports. Mm-hmm. Grew up super religious. All right. Like extremely religious. Oh, this will be fun. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's a huge part of my life. Um, and then I kind of moved away from religion mm-hmm. in my early 20s. Um, went to school, went to college in Fort McMurray, and then I moved down to Edmonton for university. Mm-hmm. Um, so my interests back then were a lot different just because I evolved quite a lot as a, as a young adult. Yeah. And kind of got to know myself a little bit more and, and still continuing to know who I am as I as I grow older now are you religious still or did you fall away from that yeah I <laughs> and it's, and it, you know it's I, that might be a personal question no I, I can say for example me like I went to ca- uh, Christian school for two mm-hmm. years grade six and seven and I just remember being in it being completely like sort of all encompassed by the religious aspect of things yeah really it makes it easier to say and label yourself as a real religious person and you kind of fall away from it later in life because you're not surrounded by it right, right? but I think more so than do you believe in God the important question is you know do you believe in being a good person do you believe in helping others do you believe in leaving this place in a better position than when you came into the world those Absolutely. are the those are the things that at least are important to me so I don't know if it's and spirituality is a big part of it too right yeah absolutely I think um what if I close that window yeah is it open sorry well maybe it's not oh sorry of course the sirens are going (laughs) off now downtown hopefully everyone's okay (laughs) it was super quiet before you got here it's like oh of course as soon as you hit record that's (laughs) that's funny um good question uh yeah my my religious experience was actually a little bit traumatic it was it was quite intense it wasn't you know just it was very consuming. Mm-hmm. So as I got into my early 20s, late teens, I made a conscious kind of decision to step away from that mm-hmm. and decide that I needed to make decisions for myself and figure out what it was that I believed in. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I do believe in um, a higher power. Um, 
I'll be as bold as to say, like, I do believe in God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do practice, like, spirituality and things like that. I just, I don't go to church right now. Um, and I'm, I'm very liberal in my thinking and very accepting. I think growing up, we were, in a way, taught to kind of judge people just by... Um, learning that things were very black and white mm-hmm. and right and wrong. Right. So when you grow up in that, you, I, I guess you feel a tendency to judge other people. So it's just kind of stepping back from that and being more accepting and open, open to other views and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That all comes with experience too, right? You mm-hmm. meet people with different views of the world, but that doesn't necessarily make them a bad person. No. You realize, hey, we can all live in harmony here. Totally, yeah. So what were you doing in your early 20s? My early 20s, I actually went to uh, the U of A for education. Mm-hmm. So I thought I wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. Uh, and then I did. I graduated with a Bachelor of Education. And directly after that, I moved to South Korea. Wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Two weeks of um, graduating, I, I moved out there for a short-term job, mm-hmm. which ended up to be about three years. Two different jobs over three years. Ooh, what were you doing, if I can ask? I was teaching English. Teaching English, okay. <laughs> but I was actually the English teacher. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was teaching English. Uh, I taught at a private school, and then I taught at a public school. And, you know, they were very great years mm-hmm. of my life. Did a lot of traveling, met a lot of people. Started a not-for-profit down there. Amazing. Yeah. What, what, was the, uh, <laughs> what was the backstory there? Okay, so you mentioned earlier, like, do you believe in... I can't quite remember how you worded it, but just leaving the world in a better better place place. than you came into it. I always believe that. Like I even had a conversation with someone like yesterday or the day before about this. And I just like, you know, I feel like I have a purpose and I don't want to waste my life doing things that waste my energy. Mm -hmm. I feel like we have energy and we can either put it into something that's going to change the world or make the world a better place. And, you know, you can have the mentality, which is like, I'm just one person. How can I make a difference to the world? Mm-hmm. But if we just think, well, I'm one person, I can make a big difference in my circle. And that can have like Multiplier effect, multiplying right? effect. Lead by example. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I, I feel like that's totally possible. So back to your question. What was your question again about the nonprofit? What, what was the backstory with the nonprofit? So what oh, was yeah. the framework for that? Okay, so... Um, there was three expats, uh-huh. me and um, my two other colleagues, and Korea is a very interesting place. <laughs> and what, what would you mean by interesting? Uh, especially in your 20s. Okay, you do get a lot of expats, and for those who aren't familiar with the terms, it's just like foreigners living in a, di- a different country. Right, expatriate. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it can get quite debaucherous to say (laughs) (laughs) okay all right all right so we all know where we're headed so it's a very uh everybody i guess feels very free over there you know there's a lot of um, things that happen drinking and Mm -hmm. sex and all that kind of crazy stuff over there right you're a long way from any like repercussions yeah and you in a way a lot of the foreigners that go over there all of a sudden get this sense of stardom Mm -hmm. like they're really special just for being foreigners or speaking english Mm So a lot of, I feel, a lot of people use that in a way, I don't know, to their advantage and it just becomes a little bit too much like, so I was like, there must be more to being in a different country than, you know, just sleeping with the locals or being made to be like this amazing person person when you're not, you know, you're not conducting yourself in a very nice way. Right. So, um... I wanted to make a difference, yeah. and so did my two other colleagues. And we, working in the school systems, we realized there was a very huge gap with um, children that didn't have the money to learn English, mm-hmm. and then children who came from very rich or wealthy families who were able to take multiple English lessons or private tutoring lessons, mm-hmm. and then therefore they would have an advantage later on in life because they could speak English. Right, so for my own context, how important, say, in an Asian country or Korea specifically, is it to know English? How much of an advantage is that over people who never are able to learn? It's quite an advantage. It'll give you like a wider pool of uh, job opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's just almost like a, a status thing, I guess, right. right? If you like just speaking English, people are like, "Wow, I want to be your friend." Mm-hmm. 
you know, you'll have doctors being like, I want to be your friend. Can we, can we meet up? <laughs> like that doesn't happen here. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty I speak, insane. lots of people speak English. Yeah. Here. Yeah, exactly. But do you, you speak know. any other languages? No, no, no. I can understand Cantonese a bit yeah. and I can read and write Korean now that, right. that I live there. But yeah. And what's your family's background? Uh, they're Malaysian, okay. uh, from China, like they're Malaysian Chinese. So gotcha. they're from. Chinese from Malaysia. Okay, yeah. so you set up a uh, not-for-profit there in order in order to help kids get access to English lessons. Yeah, so we we organize teachers yeah. who are like wanting to make a difference as well, um, and we organize them to go into like orphanages and uh, different places where they would teach children mm-hmm. English. Um, That's so, amazing. Yeah, and is it still running today without your guidance? <laughs> I know it ran for quite a few years after we left, yeah. and I'm not too sure if it's still running. It's been quite a, quite a while. I left right. Korea in 2009. Right. So Time I, moves quick, eh? Yeah. yeah. I kind of like, hands off, okay, yeah. uh, this is whoever is left, yeah. that's your project. But they did become an NGO, yeah. which is great. Amazing. It became like the biggest not-for-profit kind of organization That's really cool. in that regard. So what ultimately led, led you to leave Korea? I planned to go to Korea for only two months, to be honest. <laughs> and I, yeah, how long did you end up being there? <laughs> three for? years. Three years. It was the debt. Yeah. <laughs> it was the debt for the university. <laughs> and I was like, okay, uh, if I work really hard while I'm over here, I can pay it off, it, um, which I did, mm-hmm. and also travel. Mm-hmm. So, and what got me to leave there or stay there? No, what got you to come back? Come back. Yeah. Oh, what got me to come back, right. Um, so I had gone into my second contract with a public school and then half a year before it ended, I had found uh, a lump, mm-hmm. a lump in my breast. Um, just I was going to bed one night and I kind of felt it when I was taking off my bra and then I went to my doctor and they checked it out and she's like, well, it looks fine, but come back. And sorry, this is in Korea? This is in Korea. Oh, okay. Yeah, this yeah. is in Korea. Um, come back. So I did end up going back in like uh, a few, like six months later, maybe. Yeah. And then she was like, "Okay, well, it kind of looks a little bit suspicious now. You right. need to do a biopsy." Yeah. And I was just like, "Oh, um, okay." And then what it came down to was kind of like cost. It was gonna be, I think it was gonna be eight hundred dollars for a biopsy. Right. And it's just like, oh, I can just come back to Canada. Right. Um, instead of staying longer in Korea and you know get, get it done so mm-hmm. I actually ended up staying a little bit a few more months after my contract and mm-hmm. and then came back home yeah so that's when you ultimately found out you're diagnosed with breast cancer yeah a week a week when I came back <laughs> what was going through your mind at that time like are you a positive are you positive you seem like a positive person so that whole time from the, from the initial like, hey, let's keep an eye on this to the time of like, yes, you have breast cancer. What was going through your head? Were you like, it's probably nothing, it's probably nothing? Or were you sort of internalizing that and like, oh my God, something bad's about to happen? I would think about it every now and then. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is, uh, I think after that second time I went back to my doctor and she's like, it's looking suspicious. I was watching TV at at home and it's funny because most of it is Korean so you're flipping the same flipping channel no 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 and then Oprah <laughs> okay it's like yes I yes I my girl yeah, this is my girl <laughs> and Oprah came on and the segment was about breast cancer come on I know and I was just sitting there she and knows. I was like come on I have breast cancer so Oprah told you that's, that you have breast that's cancer that's what ran through my mind yeah and I was just like I better get home and check this out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like a foreboding or something. I don't know. So, for, from that sure. from that initial diagnosis, did you guys jump into? Did you jump right into like, okay, what do we do about this? Like next steps, like treatments. What was the process there? So I came back. Was I did my the checkup? Yeah. And then I got a call a week less than a week later, where the, the doctor told me that it was. Uh, cancerous so after that it was there's a lot of meeting with medical professionals it was very busy but it was also a lot of waiting at the same time Mm -hmm. which was quite torturous right I can imagine yeah yeah 
that not knowing and not having control is, oh, is probably one of the worst parts. especially when you're in your 20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you reach out to other people at this point? At what point did you start the Facebook diaries? Uh, that was... That's a good question. It was shortly after, but I don't think it was... Was it right? Because I did journal about... Um, I think I wrote it down, but I don't think it was on Facebook right away. Okay. Yeah. Or maybe it was. It's It's been quite a while yeah. from that time. But I did start writing right away. I, I enjoy writing. Mm-hmm. And if there's something significant, then, you know, there's usually a prompter to start writing. Yeah. And what, what kind of things would you write? Would it just be what you're feeling or would it be like a self-dialogue, um, like self-talk? Kind of story, like, I think, yeah. Like turned your life into a sort of narrative about what's happening currently? Yeah. And did you ever think that that was going to turn into more at that point? No, at that time I think it was just to kind of, for myself, just so I could remember Mm -hmm. uh, everything that was going on and my feelings. And then it was moved to informing everybody that wanted to know what was going on. Yeah. So you didn't have to have... 30, exactly. 30, 100 <laughs> conversations, right? Yeah. And then at what point did you start getting people reaching out to you and you realized that you had a positive impact, not just keeping people up to date? Right. Uh, when I put it in a private Facebook page mm-hmm. and then some people were saying, oh, like, can I have this person join too? Because they're going through something similar and I know this could help somebody. Mm-hmm. So then I really thought about it. I was like, do I want to do this? Do I want to make it completely public? Like, it's right. your feelings. It's so honest. It's, you know, what's happening with you. And I can be quite a reserved and private person, but I was like, hey, like, I don't, I don't mind sharing this. Mm-hmm. So, Because you probably realized at that point that it could have value to other people. Absolutely. Therapeutic for me and also bring a lot of value for somebody mm-hmm. going through the same experience. Right. Yeah. Well, there's, I think pretty much everyone has been affected either themselves or someone in their family by whether it's a physical or a mental illness. Like, mm-hmm. and you know, mental illness is something that's obviously becoming a lot more prevalently in terms of awareness, not that it hasn't always been there, but we're much more informed and aware of it now. Um, how do you go about talking about these experiences in a positive way such that it has therapeutic value versus uh, like commiserating? You know, instead of saying, oh, like, poor us, or like, yeah, right. life sucks. Like, how do you put that positive spin on it? Right. Uh, I think it's part, maybe my personality. Mm-hmm. Did you ever encounter anyone who was super negative that you kind of had to brush off or, or that might have impacted you negatively? I've heard of people that have been super miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think... And there's always this conception or misconception about cancer and how once you have it, it's going to, well, obviously it's going to change your life, but people feel like maybe it's going to change your life. So then you're going to live better. You're going to be a better person. Mm -hmm. And I've always been under the idea that um, hard times kind of bring out what's already there. Yeah, amplify it, for Amplify sure. it. So I think different people react to different things differently. Mm-hmm. And I also knew that, you know, I would I wanted to kind of help other people in a way, and I, I, I could be a voice. So I felt like, you know, I, and also I didn't need to be positive all the time. I, I think that was part of the thing, too. I wanted people to know, you know, it's okay to be depressed sometimes or sad or like completely distraught Mm -hmm. and that's okay because a lot of people feel like they have to mask it but I think there's something really special about being vulnerable and being really real Um, just in present day when my friends come to me and they are vulnerable and they share things with me I think that's really really special because not everyone can do that and if you're able to receive that and be like hey like i accept you even though you're not always happy yeah i'm i appreciate you showing that side 
of it to me. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of wanted people to be able to see like the very sad side of what was going on as well as like happiness. Like I wasn't right. super depressed the whole time. Right. At, but it's okay not yeah. to be okay. Right? It's totally okay not to be okay. That vulnerability too, I think you're seeing more and more of in life. People are realizing, especially with social media, that it disarms people. If you're vulnerable and honest and open, right? Like they've got nothing to say. To you. Like what they, can they say? They can't say anything. Right? <laughs> Here I am, completely naked. Yeah. In a sense. <laughs> Which is something say? that you did end up doing, right? In the in the scar project. Um, that was a series. Pretty of, naked. Yeah. yeah pretty naked. Um, I did have some concerns aren't the word but some some kind of like limits and boundaries that I did address with the photographer before I did the shoot Mm -hmm. Um, and he was very good with that and I felt super comfortable but Mm -hmm. yeah so after the first and I spoiler alert the first (laughs) diagnosis um, and you went through some pretty radical treatment Mm -hmm. right lots of chemotherapy what was so what was what's your recollection (laughs) recollection of that of oh god (laughs) What was the the timeline? I would never wish chemo on my worst enemy. It's awful. I've I've done interviews, like I've done interviews for my book Mm -hmm. and and stuff, but, and some people react differently to chemo, but I had the worst time with it. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember the very first chemo that I had, I was, I I did my rounds. So you go into the cross cancer here in Edmonton, you, they give you an IV and then you're there for the morning or the afternoon, a few hours, and you're just hooked up to the IV. And then I, I finished and I was like, oh, I feel so good. You know, let's go to Ikea. I need to get some furniture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm in, the, I'm in the van with my, my dad and my sister. And luckily he had a bucket in the back oh, of his no. car <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> and, and like we got there and I was like, oh. <laughs> I don't feel very good. Yeah, changed my mind. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's kind of where the like the nausea started, and it was always like that. I had six cycles of chemo, and it, yeah. it was like that, um, very nauseous, very kind of like you feel like you're dead for right after chemo for a week, a week and a half, and then you're like, oh, I feel like myself again, and then right. it's time to <sighs> do it again. <laughs> so you're just constantly kind of getting beaten down. Yeah, completely, and then. And then there's the physical changes after a while. Like at first you're like, oh, this is exciting. I'm gonna cut my hair short. I would never do that in real life. And then it's yeah. like, what, my hair's falling out. Like, oh my God, where's my eyelashes? Yeah. Oh no, I look like an alien. <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> so it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a big psychological ride and you do deal with a lot of emotions, um, like sense of self, sense of what, like what is beauty, uh, who am I, um, just a lot of those and especially in your formative 20s when you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have to be like, well, what am I going to no. do with my life? Right, exactly. <laughs> well, priorities probably shift pretty quickly. Huh? What, um, what kept you on a positive note for, like, how did you learn to continue loving yourself? Like, how did how did you shift your your view of self-beauty and, and learning to find your sort of inner beauty that really helped you get through that portion. Yeah, hmm. it's still a journey. I mean, the way I look at it, the 20s is kind of like a very egocentric time. Yeah. Maybe for everyone. Um, just mo- more focused on self. And then now that I'm in my 30s, I find that the way I see the world is almost like what can I offer my interactions mm-hmm. versus you know what what can the world give to me and right. I mean I was giving to the world in a sense of my 20s well, but yeah, you just in a general really, yeah. you know in a, in a general sense um, sorry I lost the question <laughs> yeah no I just what helped you through um, in terms of discovering or, you know being able to love yourself because that's so important yeah. right? like we're we're so hard on ourselves yeah and I think we you know we're always the last person to forgive us yeah. if we ever do something wrong everyone else forgives us long yeah. before we forgive ourselves right. and we can be really hard on ourselves at least certain people yeah. that personality well, it, was, it was tough I mean I I did some modeling and you know I was considered pretty without before cancer and mm-hmm. then 
with the cancer, I lost my hair. Like as I said, I hardly recognized myself in the in the mirror, and mm -hmm. I gained a lot of weight. And it was, you know, those moments looking to the mirror and being like, "Ooh, I'm not like what the the world might classify as pretty anymore." And and just kind of having those feelings. And I remember um, when I finished chemo, and then I was looking for a job, and I was looking for a serving job. Yeah. That was really disheartening because you know that's all tied together it totally is yeah. it's just that's just the truth of the way this world operates right like mm -hmm. i used to work at joey's and earl's and then you know i'd go there and apply and i wouldn't even get you know a call back or so there was that and it was just like oh it's like i'm like is the world this superficial and it really made me think about beauty in a different way and even with dating it was just like I was just very tired of just like just people just looking at you for just your face right yeah. and, and it was kind of a, a journey of like you know well what is beauty and yeah. looking at it differently yeah did you develop any tactics that helped you break through people's initial sort of first glance um, perception into like tapping into them getting to know you as a person quicker versus just the outward appearance like did you have any one-liners <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm bald I know it uh, <laughs> things like it's that. it's tricky because like when you have cancer it's funny you almost feel like even after you're you've done all your treatment you almost mm -hmm. feel like you have this dirty secret in your pocket really and that you need to tell People, even if it's like on a date or something, you're like, oh, by the way, I've had cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Just drop it in, like, yeah, like, like, oh, that's my ex over there, and I had cancer. Yeah, it's like, it's really none of their business, and you right. know, but it's almost like you have to tell them. Like, but it can be a defining you know, thing in a lot of people's it is. lives. It, it's right? huge. Like, and I know a lot of people who have had cancer, and then when they're done, you know, they they haven't been open with their journey, and then at, when they're done, they just want to kind of push it away and right. that it ever happened. And the way I see it is it's such a huge part of my life. I can't, it doesn't define who I am, mm -hmm. but it is, it is a part of why I am the way that I am. Right. I think so. It's cleared certain paths for you that you ended up following and yeah. presumably have very much enjoyed these paths. Mm -hmm. um, so then round two, tell us <laughs> what, what happened? Oh my God. <laughs> We're getting into it here. So I was like, Starting to feel like myself again. Mm -hmm. My hair was growing back, just like Samson. <laughs> Getting your strength Bible, back. That's a Bible reference. Yeah, no, I got it. Said so Christian school, two years. Okay. Raised Catholic, too. Yeah, I know them all. Um, so, like, feeling like myself again. I was just like, and I, I didn't mention, but I decided I didn't want to teach in post-secondary school. Okay. So all this time I've been searching for a career yeah. or what I was going to do next. And... I was like, okay, I can, I can finally get back to life. I can figure out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And then I went into the hospital to get a reconstructive surgery. Mm -hmm. And that's when I found out that it had come back or they didn't get it all the first time. Right. So I was like, oh my God. Come on, man. <laughs> come really? on. This was like four years later. And I was just like, really? Yeah. <sighs> So how was the mindset different that time? Was it, I got this, or was it, uh, you know, how, how did that, what, what was your self-talk there? Uh -huh. yeah, so the first time was very much like, I'm young, I'm 20, I'm fabulous, I'm worth stilettos when I'm going through treatment, I got this world, I'm going to show you how this is done. Yeah. <laughs> um, and very like public, mm -hmm. super public. The second time, it was just like, Oof. <laughs> what? <laughs> Again? <laughs> really? And the first time I swore, like, I said, if I have to do chemo again, I would rather die. Mm. I was like, I would, if it comes back, I'm not going to do chemo again. Right. And, you know, after you have your first diagnosis, you always kind of live with that fear of it coming back. Right. And it becomes more distant with time. Like you don't think of it every day, mm -hmm. uh, maybe every couple days, every week, and then it becomes more distant to like the point of four years. You're like, yeah, I got this. Yeah. And boom, <laughs> it's back. Nope. nope. Um, so I kind of went inwards. I went on social media. I kind of like let everybody know what was going on. 
then I I decided that I just really needed to heal something within myself. I needed to kind of figure out what was going on spiritually, yeah. mentally, and really make some time for myself. Put put my job search on pause mm-hmm. and really delve into to healing what needed to be healed. Yeah, I re- read somewhere that you said, um, you know, all most of the answers in life lie within. You just need to have the, the conversation. Um, so yeah. where did you search for that? Where did you go to, to get that mirror to look back into you? Yeah, um, I went online. So I was searching for cancer retreats, but I was never drawn to like yoga retreats or big group retreats. Uh, I just was looking for something. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know exactly what I was looking for. And then I found this one retreat out in BC, uh, put on by this group called Kalanish. Mm-hmm. And it just sounded like the most amazing fit and exactly what I needed. Um, it was like this group that runs these retreats and also like daily retreats, weekly retreats. And they do, um, on this one specific retreat that I went to, uh, like mind body work. So there's a little bit of yoga, there's massage therapy, there's sound therapy. Interesting. Um, you do Tai Chi. <laughs> so a really holistic approach. <laughs> Super holistic mm-hmm. and very listening based. So we, we were out in the woods for about a week. And there's something about the forest that is very, I don't know, reflective of, of me, I think. I'm a city girl at heart, but mm-hmm. my name actually means in the forest. Oh, Yeah, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of feel a connection with the forest some, sometimes, yeah. somehow, I always. Um, so you're out there in the forest and you're kind of disconnected from all the craziness of life. Oh, phones. Phones, yeah. yeah. Computers. Uh. And then... Every morning you start off with like the sound therapy, sound bowls and mm-hmm. Tai Chi. So what would they play? Just like pleasant sounds? Are we talking like real uh, noises some, or? There was a specialist or um, someone who was like a sound therapist. Mm-hmm. So she had sound bowls. Are okay. you familiar with sound bowls? No. Teach so they're, me. they're like different sizes of crystal bowls that are so like in a cylinder shape. Yeah. Um, and then you have like this little one thing that taps into it and kind of makes it like a resonating oh, okay beautiful right sound. so really like pure vibrant sounds <laughs> oh, no, no no i get it yeah for sure yeah. there's a reason why the ohm is part of yeah. meditation right because that resonance really affects us as human Deep beings down, yeah right? and culturally too like our we're auditory creatures that's why song is so impactful to mm-hmm. us as a species so sorry continue yeah so there's that yeah um, and then we would do group sessions and single sessions throughout the day. So we had a schedule. Um, so sometimes we do like a, a group, like art therapy class together. Mm-hmm. Um, one time we were talking about like something as deep as like death <laughs> um, and what, what that meant to us. And, you know, then we'd move it out throughout the day and then we'd have these really amazing, organic, really wholesome meals. And then uh, at nighttime, we'd all gather together and... I can't remember what we called it, but it was a time to just listen and kind of share what's on your heart. And it was the practice of being together mm-hmm. and, and sharing, like one person would share at a time what was going on for them. And then everybody would just listen. And there was no like, oh, here, have a tissue, or like, no, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, we would just listen. And there was like something really special about being super vulnerable with this group of strangers that you just met sharing what kind of was on your heart, whether it was like, oh, this was like the toughest day of my life today. Like, oh no, I had a really great time. Like people were all over the place. Yeah. Um, some people were just like, oh my God, like I don't know if I can do this, this is so tough. And they would just break down and you would just sit with them. You would sit with them and in a way be like, you know, it's okay, like we're here for you. Just let it out and mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not going to comfort you because it's okay. It's okay to be like weeping. Right, mm-hmm. interesting. So then what did that uh, retreat lead into next for you? That that kind of led into um, learning more about like meditation, kind of delving into myself, doing some writing, mm-hmm. just sitting with myself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And 
and having conversations with myself with myself. Internally or, or out loud? <laughs> Internally. Internally, okay. <laughs> and, you know, when you take the time um, in the right environment, like, you know, we all live busy lives. We can't all sit down and meditate all right. the time. But, like... That we should. I mean, I, I think... It all comes back to balance, and I don't think balance is like 50-50 or 25% of this and 25% of this. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just what your soul is calling out for that time. Yeah. So there's times when I'm like, oh, I really need to meditate. Mm -hmm. And there's some days where I'm just great and it's fine. And I think it's just being in tune with that voice right. where it's like, hey, like I need this. Yeah. Come on, check in with me. Yeah. So especially like tough times and, and suffering times of suffering is a really great time to check in and a really great time to learn about yourself. Right. You know, otherwise, how would you learn? You'd just always be on this high and be like, yeah, life is great. Like, there's no, there's learn. no such thing as a constant high, right? Like, no. Life has balance, <laughs> which I'm sure you feel too, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's the, the good times aren't as good without the bad times. And it's know. true. I know we hate the bad times, but how can we grow or expand in, in any area if, if there isn't, suffering or bad times mm -hmm. and sometimes it's the elastic effect too right you need to take a couple steps back before you shoot forward yeah sometimes it feels like you're taking 30 steps back <laughs> <laughs> to take 60 or 90 forward though yeah right? you never know like life is full of surprises so what led you into getting into the leather work class because that seems like it's been a defining time for you and yeah. a defining thing for you in your life mm -hmm. so that also was part of the whole journey of like getting to myself and and taking some time for myself and you know stepping away from the kind of public persona and and figuring things out with myself right whether i if i knew it wasn't necessarily like go see a therapist and have them figure it all out i think sometimes if you just make space for yourself and without any agenda then the answers will kind of come yeah. or what you're missing is going to fall into place right so yeah I took a art therapy course that was offered through the cross cancer Institute for cancer patients mm -hmm. um, Alberta Health I think put it on and it was a leather making class to not a leather making we didn't tan the leather hides <laughs> you're not out there in the farms doing Ooh, all this. that's not really bad that class no. <laughs> um, it was a leather journal making class mm -hmm. and uh, the receptionists were like, oh my God, this is so great. Everybody loves this class. So I took it and I fell in love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Unreal. <laughs> it was great. And the teacher was like really amazing. He was like this actor who like goes to the fringe festivals sometimes, folk mm -hmm. festivals and, and sells leather stuff, but he's really skilled. Yeah. So he taught us um, kind of the basics of making a leather journal. And, and there wasn't any like any verbal therapeutic things about this class like we didn't sit down we didn't have like a talk about cancer before right. or a, like a a wind down or a debrief mm -hmm. it was just work with your hands yeah. here's the leather here are the skills here are the tools and in a way that was so therapeutic for me right. like i would never imagine that I would love to work with mallets and exacto knives and hand tools. <laughs> well, that seems like a very different approach from everything you had kind of been experiencing up until that point, mm -hmm. right? You went through the public persona, the more openness and talking with other people, the social support, and then you had more of like the, the retreat and sort of the internal stuff, talking about it still. But then yeah. it's like, yeah. enough talk, right? Yeah. Get to do it. Yeah, it's like bang, 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 bang. Like <laughs> the noisiest class. Like it was so good. I, and I think it just healed deep down in a way that nothing else did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the, I, I truly believe that having a purpose is an integral part of, of being a happy human being and being a, you know, a happy person. Yeah. Like you need to have a purpose. Yeah. So I can see how when your life has become about a disease and you're just focused on getting better, it's like, okay, but I get better and then what? Yeah, right? totally. that's good. That's, that's, it seems like it could be a missing element. Yeah. So at the point when you go into the leather making class, then are you, have you gone into remission from round two or what was the healing process like there? I was actually in radiation. Okay. You're in radiation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I was going through radiation, which is pretty. <laughs> How did you have the strength to do that just because you loved it so much? You were able to battle through? Or? No. Um, I was actually doing a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have been doing during radiation. 
um, like skipping in the sun. <laughs> what was rebel, what, what was causing you to do that? I don't know. I felt great. Yeah. Um, everybody's like, oh my god, like radiation's gonna be a walk in the park. Don't you worry. Compared to chemo, this gonna be fine. Yeah. But I had a tough time deciding that I was gonna undergo radiation, mm-hmm. just because I'd taken so many drugs and you know, like it's it's back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I've done everything you guys wanted me to do, and it's back. Right. What? Um, I was even still on drugs, like um, to kind of help it kind of stay at bay or yeah. stay away, and still it came back. So I had you done radiation the first time, mm-hmm. or just chemo? Okay, so this no. was completely no experience. Yeah. And with radiation, do you still get like the hair loss and other things like that? No. No. But you get something that is worse, maybe. Um. Okay. So with radiation, there's like different opinions about radiation. Mm-hmm. Um. Can you just imagine like what happened in Japan and all the yeah. repercussions? So it's it's like that kind of not on that scale, obviously, but right. it's pretty intense to your body. Of course. So there's the holistic view where it's like, oh, like you don't want to do that to your body, versus you know like the medical, which is like, well, this is what we have to offer you because they yeah. said, you know, the first time you did chemo, it was the most aggressive treatment we could give you, mm-hmm. considering your age. Mm-hmm. It was 25. Um, so you can do chemo if you want again, but we don't think it's going to help. I was like, okay, that's all I need to hear. Anything, option B. Yeah. I was like, it's, it's cool. I don't, yeah. I don't need to take chemo again if you don't think it's going to help. Mm-hmm. Music to my ears. Right. Uh, so they're like, well, radiation is what we suggest. It'll increase it 50 by 50, 50 or something like that. I can't remember what they were saying, right. but the difference with radiation is, um, I believe you lo- like lose um, energy yeah. um, over time. Obviously, I was like exercising and feeling super fantastic and mm-hmm. doing these art therapy classes. Uh, so I didn't feel like any loss of energy. The thing with radiation I found was after I had completed the radiation, it took me a really long time to bounce back. And I don't know if that was the cumulative, like all these surgeries and all right. these chemos over time, but I, I feel like it had a big, big effect in my body. Mm-hmm. And also I got... Um, second degree radiation burns yeah so physically it's really harsh on your skin too yeah right? mm-hmm. very harsh like skin sliding <laughs> skin is gross sliding off your body so here's a question I, I don't know if you've ever been asked this before but is there any type of subconscious or or reality in the connection between you going through you know sort of a disfiguration in your physical skin to working with animal skin and leather is there any connection there at all for you personally i mean like in, in terms of therapy like yeah i i, I remember working beginning to work with the leather and you just i'm very aware of like this the the scars like in full grain leather this the the scars and the imperfections of the leather and i think it was really drawn to that mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because you have scars too. Right? Yeah, major These scars. These guys are just like me, and yet you're turning something that yeah. scarred into something beautiful. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a parallel. Mm-hmm. So, when did you? At what point did you realize that this new therapeutic hobby of yours was going to become the business? It's <laughs> going to become your world or a big part of your world going forward. I took the course a few more times. And then uh, started making journals. Oh, sorry. That's okay. You can get it. <laughs> this is my sister. She's a very important part of my life. Perfect. Come on in. Hi, Sabrina. Hi, Sabrina. Interview. <laughs> I'm Shane. We're just in the middle of a podcast. You can say hi to these guys if you want. Say hi. <laughs> yeah, she was a huge part of my my cancer journey. That's amazing. Yeah. What do you do, Sabrina? Um, graphic designer. <laughs> graphic designer. Okay. She's my neighbor. <laughs> I live right next door. Wi-Fi provider. <laughs> yeah. Here, is this what you want? Yeah. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Sabrina. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's all good. Um, we were talking about uh, we were talking about uh, turning it into a business. Oh yes. Um, so then people, some of my friends started asking me to buy some of my journals. Mm -hmm. So then I started making it through that. And then being a curious person by nature, I started um, 
researching different skills like hand stitching mm -hmm. and then I started playing around with my own designs, cutting templates, putting it together, making a lot of mistakes, wasting a lot of leather. <laughs> oh. Is leather expensive? Like the raw stuff? Like I mean leather, yeah, generally leather is expensive. At that time I wasn't using the the most expensive or high quality leather and that mm. was expensive for me. So yeah. um, as a hobby, right? So I was yeah. just like, ah! Like, is there pressure to that if you screw something up? Oh, completely. Especially depending on the leather. If you're working with a leather like that is vegetable tan, it's very delicate, mm -hmm. especially if you're leaving it in its natural state and its natural color, like that nude color. Yeah. Um, and it can be very unforgiving. Like leather is very unforgiving, but it's also very forgiving. It just depends on what stage you're at, at what point. Like if you punch a hole in the veg tan, in the wrong place <laughs> you're just gonna notice it right <laughs> especially when you're almost done whatever you're making you're like oh my god did i just do that <laughs> so when you're making um items do you have a proxy or do you have an idea of a, a customer that you want to make this for or is it just purely from your own instinct of what you love yeah i mean that might not be the best business um strategy but <laughs> or it might be the best business strategy <laughs> it really comes for myself yeah because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you're a, you're an artist essentially and you're mm -hmm. creating you're creating things from within you right yeah so if yeah. you were to try and create something that you know you thought someone else would like that would be yeah in a way selling out maybe yeah well you know in some in some sense like i mean i do have to think sometimes well, what might be good for the cu consumer right the client the customer and then from that point, I can always take my spin on it, mm. like a keychain. Well, what does Sylvia Sue want it to look like versus <laughs> Sylvia <they> Sue, <laughs> the infamous Sylvia Sue, infamous. <laughs> um, so, what uh, you, you mentioned, you do some, you do a little bit of um, speech, uh, public speaking, and talks. Do you travel at all for that, or is it mostly located in Edmonton here? I've traveled before for it. Mm. Yeah. Um, I've been on some panels, uh, just the stuff that I've been involved with, like documentaries yeah. and and conferences and stuff like that. I've I've done a few talks here and there, uh, but my next one will be in Edmonton. Yeah. Next speech. Yep. Yeah. And when's that? Tell us. That is in March. I don't know if it's released yet. Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> I love getting the exclusive. <laughs> love that. That's amazing. Um, yeah, but I'll be a, a keynote speaker for. Um, one of the cancer conferences that are is coming up in March and I won't release all the information. I'll let them do that themselves. But mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. What else is on the docket for you for 2018? 2018, growing my business in different ways. Mm -hmm. So right now I am the sole designer and maker of all my goods. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping to expand, expand in that area where um, I can take on the role of designer and bring in other goods yeah from other places and do you sell everything out of edmonton here or do you do you ship at all yeah yeah so where where's your where do you reach to where do your products get to um i ship mainly north america mm -hmm. so the states in here uh, i've shipped overseas as well mm -hmm. as far as australia nice yeah um how do you find clients or how do you find you know customers out there i mean all the way out there I don't think I find them. I think they find me somehow. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how they found. Maybe just through different avenues. I do a lot of collaborations as well. Mm -hmm. So whether that's through social media or a collection that I've collaborated on, or you know. Do you think the backstory to your you know your history in regards to the company? Do you think that's really vital? piece of, of all your work as well for, for potential customers? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with this whole cancer thing, it was huge, right? And and you had mentioned before something about um, what next? Like this mm -hmm. whole cancer thing was huge, like what next? Right. And that was a big question for myself. You know, I was like, wow, I've done a lot in the cancer world, but what next? I don't want to just be known as this cancer girl. Like, right. No, like, okay. So with the leather business, it was interesting because I actually didn't want to call it after myself. Mm -hmm. I was going to have some other kind of name like Maverick or whatever. Mm -hmm. I had put out like this whole list to a group of people and they're like, well, just name it after yourself. Your name sounds so 
like a, a, a name that could go on a brand. Yeah, so that sounds high end. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. And you're thinking, well, it actually means forest. So. <laughs> Sylvia in the forest. I'm not sure what Sue means. Um, so I was like, oh, fine. And then, you know, people would ask me, like, how did you get into leather work? Yeah. You know, especially with my, my products. And you're like, how much time you uh, got? <laughs> well, I was just like, I didn't want, in a way, to connect my story to my product just mm-hmm. because the way I thought about it I was like I don't want people to feel sorry for me I just want them to buy the product because they love the right. product they love the design they love how well it's made mm-hmm. um, I don't want my story to have any influence over my product right but as you let know me, let me ask you when did you realize that was a mistake <laughs> because I can tell that you're going to say you realize it makes your product even better it's not it's not like it's not sub- supplementing anything. It's not getting your product to good. It's taking it from good to great. Mm. Because at the end of the day, if someone can tell a great story behind the product they have, that makes it even better than just the quality of it, right? I don't know. Maybe you disagree. No, I agree with you. I don't think it was a mistake. I think for me, it was a journey. Right. Yeah. It was a journey for me just because I was like, you know, this is my cancer life. I want to make a name for myself that's not Sylvia Sue Cancer Fabulous diaries or you know this girl who's 25 who had cancer and like boom Mm -hmm. punched out of the water um i just wanted to make a name for myself other than just cancer girl right um so it was very like kind of a mental conversation that i kept having with myself back and forth yeah i was like well you know what like it's a great and people were like it's such a great story like you should capitalize on this I'm like I don't want to capitalize on this yeah I can um, understand your internal yeah. conflict you want to stand on your own two legs right totally yeah and I, I don't want people but at the same time it's like again it's mm-hmm. part of who I am and this is kind of really important a really important part of how I got um, into the leather business mm-hmm. so I'm kind of at the place now where I'm comfortable telling my story and I, I, I've decided, you know, that is, it is what it is and it, it's a great story and it's, you know, part of the reason why, the whole reason why I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing now, I would never have picked up a piece of leather and right. started making purses out of it if I didn't have to go through radiation. I guarantee you that. Um, but yeah, it's been a process and it, it's, it's sometimes tough to kind of tie that in for me, like into my business, because I don't want to feel like I'm capitalizing on my story, if that makes sense. No, I I totally get it. And you're always going to wrestle with that. Yeah, you know? and I'm just really genuine in my, in my like, I want my products to, mm-hmm. to stand on their own. Mm-hmm. But again, it's, it's, it's the story behind my products and... Yeah. <laughs> this is gonna this is this question will seem like a bit of a left turn, but it's something that I've been really curious about. And I haven't had any near death experiences, but most people agree that a near death experience can help you reframe your priorities, re reframe your life and rethink like what do I wanna do? Um, you've had for all intents and purposes too. Um, I've also heard though that that effect that like I'm gonna make the most of my life really diminishes the, uh, as you were saying before, the further you get from the event, the less of a big deal it seems. So did, first part of the question is, did you have that sort of near-death mindset of like, I'm gonna make the most of life? Um, and then part two would be, did it eventually diminish or what have you found that allows you to continue moving forward, trying mm-hmm. to improve and grow constantly? Right. Well, I've always had that mindset from very young. Mm-hmm. I mean, religion was bad in a lot of ways, but in a, in some ways it was very good because um, we always felt like we could make a difference. Mm-hmm. I think that was the, if there was one slogan in my child, it was like, you can make a difference right. and you're going to make a difference. Whether it was like, bring people to Jesus. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not sure what the difference is. Yeah. yeah. So I've always felt like I can make a difference just from like the not-for-profit to like being diagnosed and, and kind of being the face of, face of um young people with breast cancer mm-hmm. um but the one interesting thing is the first time i was diagnosed i was waiting for that shift where it's like your life is gonna do a 180 you're gonna have like this whoosh like mm-hmm. you're gonna be a different person and it never came and it's like 
I'm waiting. Like, right. when is it coming? Like, why aren't I taking life more seriously? <laughs> what did that What did that mean to you? Why, why do you think that was? I don't know. It was very confusing, though. I was just like, oh, like, people would ask me questions. and like, I don't have the answer that you want me to tell you. Right. Like, even on panels, like, they'd ask me questions. And it would just be like, sorry, I'm going to give you a different answer because that's not my experience. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not sure why that was. But the second time, mm -hmm. maybe because I was in my mid-20s. I, I don't know. Who knows? At my age at that time, for me, it wasn't uh, a time that I was kind of... I wasn't pushed to the point of... I need to go inward, I, I think. Right. Yeah, I, I guess I have a very high threshold, a very high tolerance for life. Yeah, for drama. <laughs> the second time, <laughs> I was like, all right, life is going to, life is like, what What do we need to do? Yeah. It was more serious, right? <laughs> yeah, the second time was like, boom, like in the gut, like, oh, what? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's when I decided to go inward. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where, where that kind of that change of thinking came into play yeah mm -hmm. the second time to be honest so then um yeah it's definitely helped me see life a lot differently mm -hmm. um especially when people and i don't know if it's a like necessarily a, a great thing because like a lot of people are like what's your 20-year plan what's your 10-year plan i'm just like I don't, don't die. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe I won't live till then. Yeah. <laughs> you know? There's those that in the back of my head. Yeah. I don't know. If that's a good thing. But it's like, I really want to appreciate and enjoy my life now. Mm -hmm. And that is very, very important to me. Mm -hmm. um, and quality of life, like right now, is really important to me. Obviously, as I get further away from that diagnosis and those traumatic events in my life with cancer, you know, I start to think about like security, especially as an artist, right? Yeah. Security and, and pension and all that kind of stuff is right. like that back and forth, like, oh my God, like what happens if I live to 80? The real world <laughs> creeps back in yeah. instead of just thinking, I'm just trying to get to next week or next yeah. month. It's like, no, yeah. we got to think next decade, right? Yeah. So there's that pressure, um, but there's also that very um, strong experience of having gone through what I've gone through and being mm -hmm. like enjoy your life who mm -hmm. knows like no one is promised tomorrow yeah and then what and then what I didn't enjoy my life mm -hmm. I didn't have a quality of life I didn't I didn't take time and space to to sit with myself and know myself more and and understand myself more and make a difference in in my life and everybody around me right. in my life you seem like a very self-aware person and to me, that's that's a, a more current theme that I'm noticing that you know successful people have is self awareness. Know what you're capable of. Know what you're not capable of. And I don't mean that in like oh you can't do that, but just know what your strengths are and follow those things. And then the other part is gratitude too, which you know, yeah. is, is evident that you've got. Did that was that always the case, or did that really come about after the cancer? I think it came more so after the cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, like 20s was a flurry of activity, of great things, of travel, of amazing experiences. Mm -hmm. And for stuff to happen so quickly and such many good things to happen in your life so quickly, it's hard to process it, I think, even at a young, like especially at a young age, and really sit with the gratitude of being like, this is an ode to me. Mm -hmm. Like I don't necessarily, I don't deserve all this, all these things. Yeah. Like, but you just it happens and you just take it in. But now I think in my thirties it's like this, this new journey of kind of self awareness and getting to know myself more and finding the truth of what, what, what world do I live in? Like how do I see the world and and um, gratitude I think is a huge thing because. One thing I want to say for when I was um, going through my treatments, especially radiation, before then I was traveling all the time, mm -hmm. all the time. And then I was like, oh, I have to be in Edmonton for my surgeries. I actually wanted to move to Toronto for the longest time. And I had this, this point of view where I was like, oh, I hate it here. Like, I just hated it here. And every moment was 
thinking about when my next trip would be, when would my next escape be, mm -hmm. and being put in the place where I couldn't leave because I had surgeries or I had to recover or I didn't know what like three months was going to look like. I kind of had to change my mindset and be like, hey, smarten up. Like, <laughs> it's not about the place. It's about you and it's about your mindset and it's about finding beauty wherever you are. Like, you could be in the most beautiful place, but if you have a rotten attitude, you still have a rotten attitude. Right. Like, I think you find opportunity wherever you are. Mm -hmm. So, that kind of shifted my mindset of being like, you need to find what's beautiful here. Right. Focus yeah. on what you have versus what you don't have. Yeah, and that just ties into gratitude. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, contentment and gratitude is a very great thing to have and be able to, to display. And the more gratitude you have, the more real, you realize, like, how blessed you are and the more life can give you and the more you can give out to others if you're able to be in that place of gratitude. It just mm -hmm. opens up a lot of, a lot of things. So I want to be respectful of your time and wrap up here, but I have to go through your resume and just say it out loud because it's it's pretty it's pretty epic. And if I miss anything, tell me. But you know, <laughs> you've got two-time cancer survivor. You've got your leather business, Sylvia Sue Leather. You've got the Cancer Fabulous Diaries book that you authored. You've got your blog, Cancer Fabulous. You were part of the Scar Project. You've been in two documentaries. Uh, Hope is helping others prosper through English. That was your Korea project, yeah. yeah. And you've been in a short film as well. Oh God! <laughs> Sounds like there's a good story there. Oh, you did your backstory, huh? I did a little research. Oh yeah, yeah. I was, I was in a short film. Short film? Are you talking about the independent film or the short film? Oh, so there's two. Oh God. <laughs> We don't have to go there if you don't want to. Uh, no, I, I will. Um, okay, the short film, yeah, I, I, I won a, an award for a, a short film that I did with my sister who mm -hmm. just popped in. Um, just to make Sabrina. it... Sabrina. Sabrina, yeah. She's very dear to my heart. Um, I helped raise her. Mm -hmm. And then when I went through chemo, she was there for me. She was amazing. And the short film is just kind of a very raw, again, a lot of video footage from that that time where I didn't plan to make a video, but then I compiled it and make it a very raw footage right. video. And it was just about the relationship and the turn of relationship, how my sister was always there for me and kind of a love letter to my sister, like saying thank you yeah. for being there for me. That's very sweet. It was very special, like I love her a mm -hmm. lot, yeah. And then the independent film mm -hmm. was a film that I actually was part of. <laughs> Sorry, it's just a little embarrassing. <laughs> Why is it embarrassing? I don't know, because it's like a horror film and it's a little bit <laughs> independent film. Um, so I auditioned for this film mm -hmm. before, when I knew I had cancer, but before I lost all my hair, mm -hmm. I didn't think I was going to get the role because um, the thing was like long black hair was one right. of the physical characteristics. So I auditioned and then I kind of forgot about it and then they called me back. Mm -hmm. And then by that time I'd lost all my hair. Right. By the way, <laughs> I should probably tell you. So I wore a really long black wig to my audition. Yeah. And after I did the, the audition, the makeup artist was like, is there a reason why you have a wig on? <laughs> Was she the only one that knew? No one else knew. <laughs> what was the reveal? Did you oh my god! No, I didn't take it off. I was just like, oh, my mind was just like, oh, this cancer. I was like, right. I was just like, well, there goes my chance. And then I told, I told them, you know, I just, I was just diagnosed and I'm going through treatment. Mm -hmm. um, but I got the role. Amazing. <laughs> and between fifth and sixth cycle of chemo, I was out in the woods. Had the most amazing time yeah like nobody else knew um actually one guy who was kind of like had an interest in me like felt my hair and he's like oh your hair feels really dry and i was like it's it's, it's Edmonton. I'm like, ah, well it's not my hair I'm like and he's like oh it's not I'm like no it's a wig and he's like oh i'm like yes why and he's like you're not a transvestite are you <laughs> <laughs> You're like okay, so clearly oh I think about cancer God. more than other people. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> was that a good, was that the best answer he could have had? I I just like <laughs> I don't know. It's 
like, wow. But yeah, that whole week, I like, I don't think anybody knew except the makeup artist. Mm-hmm. I would kind of wear my wig to bed, like, and then take it off when nobody was around and right. put it back on. Yeah. But yeah. That's pretty incredible, though, how you just still <laughs> pursued it despite, you know, trying to keep it a secret. Oh my Didn't, God. But that's a perfect example of not using, like, not capitalizing and not trying to make anyone yeah. feel sorry for you. That's I hated absolutely, that. yeah. that's an incredible story. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I really love that one. You're welcome. Um, so where I was going with that um, is listing all those accomplishments. What two parts again? I love the two part questions. <laughs> what of those are you most proud of at this point? And then part two is what what's still missing from that list? What do you want to do still? Mm, good question. <laughs> I was asking myself that the other day. Perfect. Um, Can't hide from it. Uh-huh. So... I think my proudest accomplishment out of that list is the book. Yeah, because I know it's helped a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And just the other day, uh, one of my best friends called me and was like, my friend is just diagnosed with breast cancer. Can you send her a copy? Yeah. And I just I just love that. Yeah. And then, I got this sign. Yeah, I just, it's, and hearing feedback from it, like even people who just don't even have cancer and mm-hmm. they read it or people who are going through cancer with someone else mm-hmm. and then they're able to find some kind of hope or some kind of help or inspiration through the book. I mean, it's just beyond what I can do in, in my own capacity, but to have it as a book in like libraries and in cancer centers, that's, you know, it's really a blessing. And right. I'm, I'm so grateful to have that opportunity and that voice and touch people in that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is missing from that list? I'm not sure yet. Okay. I couldn't answer that question. But there is a blank space there. There's one a, that you a there's few. There's a blank space, and I'm trying not to pressure myself too much about it because mm-hmm. I know it'll come find me if mm-hmm. I'm actively kind of searching in a way for right. it, even though I might not know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect answer. Well, thanks for your time, Sylvia. Really appreciate it. Um, where can people find you and your work online? Uh, so for uh, the cancer stuff. Uh, I'm a little bit absent from that right now, but uh, I do have a website, cancerfabulous.com. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just everything that I've been through and some um, articles and stuff like that on there on Facebook as well, Cancer Fabulous and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then for my professional leather work, uh, sylviasue.com and Sylvia Sue Leather on Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Fellas, Valentine's Day is coming up, right? That must be <laughs> yeah. a busy time for you. Get your orders in. <laughs> All right, Sylvia, thank you so much. Thank you. See ya. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. The support has been tremendous. The messages you guys have sent really mean the world to me. See you next week.